Welcome to the Expat Cast. I'm your host, Nicole Palazzo, and I am tapping my foot as I record this intro because I just finished watching Babylon Berlin. I'm sure a lot of you out there have heard about it, but if you haven't, it's set in 1929 in Berlin. It's like a period piece, suspense. It's so good. I love that era. I love that style. <laughs> I couldn't get the show in Germany because I don't have Sky, which is the network that produced it, and I found out that it's available on American Netflix, so as soon as I got here, I was like, okay, the priority of my visit this trip is watching the show, and it was worth it. So anyone in the U.S., I definitely recommend watching it, even if you don't speak German. Um, they do have an English subtitled version, and I think they have a voice dub too, though those are always kind of funky, so I just stick to the subtitles. Um, and if you're in Germany and you do have Sky, definitely check it out. It's so good. If you've seen it, come geek out with me. I just chopped nine inches off my hair and I realized after the fact that I basically just gave myself Lotta's haircut. So I guess subconsciously this show is really embedded in me. (laughs) Anyway, that's not the topic of today's show, though I guess kind of. I mean, there are themes of like mental health and like self-medicating through drugs and alcohol in the show. I mean, it's a bit of a weak transition, but that's all I've got. So today's episode is all about mental health. I sit down with Rebecca. She is an American expat in Germany. Rebecca originally came to Germany as a trailing spouse, or what's preferred to say is really expat partner. So she came for her husband's job. And she touches on how that move impacted her own career, and then how she found her footing, because she also had just decided to quit drinking right before moving to Germany. So not the best timing, but actually it ended up working out pretty well for Rebecca. And she talks us through why that is. And then we get on to talking about expat depression and depression in general. We both open up about our experiences with that and our own mental health journeys throughout the move abroad. And then we additionally talk about the therapy system in Germany and how the whole healthcare system works to support people seeking help. So there's a ton in there. And without further ado, let's hear from Rebecca. My name is Rebecca Watson. I grew up in Minnesota in the United States, and I live now in Freiburg, Germany. And how long have you lived here? It was five years last week. Really? Yeah. Okay, so we have the same Gedeutschtag. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. That's what I call it. Gedeutsch. Trying to make a thing. (laughs) It's awful. (laughs) Um, Yeah, mine was July 30th. Okay, mm-hmm. mine's the 28th. Okay, yeah. yeah. Cool, happy Gedeutschtag. Thank you. How's your five? Well. Thanks. <laughs> your five so far? Intense, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. There's this question of when you first move here, like, am I going to stay? I guess I shouldn't say that for everyone. Some people come here with the intention of I'm going to be here for a year or I'm living here for the rest of my life. For me, it wasn't like that. Fifth year was like, okay, we're staying here. We are... Gosh, we're working on our permanent residence. Yeah. Permanent residence. Citizenship comes next. But yeah, so it was a lot of, okay, we we live here now. How do I put down roots? And what does that look like? Yeah. And I feel like that's always what people ask when they're like, oh, you're living here like permanently or just for how long? They sort of want to know like what your shelf life is here. (laughs) I think that's a good question because it is a university town. Yeah. You know, oh. How close of friends are we going to be? Yeah, yeah. You know, what? how much time do I invest in you? Which is kind of a, a weird way to look at things. But at the same time, I can understand it because it's really hard to get close with somebody and then have them leave. How did you How did you get here? What brought you here? Well, uh, my husband got an, a job offer. So I'm one of those trailing spouses, mm. which is, 
I hated that word when I first heard it. It made me kind of want to throw up. Like, oh, I'm chasing after him, picking up his socks or something like that. I've never heard that. You've not trailing. heard trailing spouse. Ooh, I've yeah. heard expat partner. Okay. Which I, like I thought that. was fine. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. You know, I didn't have a job when we first moved here. And actually, whether it's through our fault or the fault of the lawyers not explaining things well enough and us not asking questions, I couldn't work for the first six months we were here. That sucked because I uh, own my own business. I had a bunch of clients that had agreed, sure, you know, you can stay, you can, you can continue to work for us or, you know, help us out. And the time change doesn't really matter to us because I was, I was working in California before and that was, you know, telecommuting is very normal there. So it wasn't a big deal. But then when I got here, I found out that I couldn't work. So I had to drop all of these clients in about... A week basically Jeez. even if you were working like on your u.s mm-hmm. passport u.s taxes mm-hmm. u.s bank account everything wow. but you know you're in your first week here my husband signed a contract like i don't want to get in trouble with the german government and get deported and you know i mean <laughs> my impression was um you don't mess around with that kind of stuff you know with the germans anyway you follow the rules so yeah he got the job offer i'd always wanted to move to europe I have a couple friends in the UK and some friends up in Norway and Sweden. And so I really wanted to be closer to them. So I was pretty excited to move to Germany. I would say, though, that we did not have really any expectations around it because we had never been to Germany. And so we thought, okay, let's move. We'll give it two years. And if we hate it, so what? We can go travel. You know, we've had this experience. But if we love it, then we can choose to stay. And after a year, we decided, yeah, we both really love it. I wouldn't say that I really put down roots here, though, until maybe maybe like the fourth or fifth year. Oh, yeah. yeah. Did you speak any German beforehand? Uh, sprechen Sie Deutsch? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Kindergarten? Uh, doppelganger? No, no German. Um, honestly, the whole situation, like the job offer came in May and we were out here by July. So it was really quite quick. There was just a lot of things going on in that time, right? You know, just packing up and trying to figure stuff out. But like for me, I had quit drinking like a month before that. And um, so there's this conventional wisdom in addiction and recovery scene that you don't change anything in the first year. And essentially I was just gonna run across to a different country in like the first quarter <laughs> right and one that's particularly known for a strong drinking culture right like this whole <laughs> this is like just the universe here. being like oh cool you're gonna be so yeah here. <laughs> here let's see how you do here what's interesting about that though is moving to germany i had no problems not drinking here the attitude nobody gave me a second glance if i ordered an Schorle or i ordered an alcohol free beer nobody cared Whereas if I did that in California, people were like, oh, are you pregnant? Oh, you must be driving. There had to be a reason not to, not to drink. And that could, that could be just the kind of people I hung around with. But the people that I've met in Germany, and I've spent a lot of time with different kinds of people, nobody even asks, oh, are you, do you not drink? I, I don't think I've ever gotten that question. It's just, oh, you're having a Coke? Oh, Okay. Yeah. Oh, that sounds good. Maybe I'll have that too. You know, it's not, there's not really an attitude. Yes, there's a strong beer culture here. Yes, there's definitely a strong drinking culture here. But I don't think that governs the social aspect of the culture. It is normal to go to a cafe and get 
coffee get juice like there's more into juice than like i've ever encountered <laughs> i love it it's great yeah and also yeah you mentioned alcohol-free beer um <sighs> i had heard of that in the states and i literally like scoffed at it and i was like okay like that's pointless um but i came here and tried it and i was like oh it's delicious and it's super healthy for yeah, you it really is and they have it on basically every menu yeah. um it yeah it tastes great it yeah. you get to enjoy the flavor like i'm someone who just likes to have different drinks yeah in general. exactly um just but try I, stuff yeah i don't yeah. necessarily want to be like committing to having a buzz or something you know exactly <laughs> and so you can do that and there's so many good alcohol-free flavors and and brewers and options it's awesome yeah well and the difference is too in the u.s they boil the beer to get rid of the alcohol oh ew. and i know it's disgusting and here they have a filter i went to a brewery because i used to work at a brewery <laughs> um and i wanted to know how the heck this beer tastes so much better uh, yeah they use a filter and seemingly i think they could do do wine too um so i think i would love to see them do that as well but uh, for now yeah i'll take the alcohol free beer it's great you know if the first 10k race i ran here they had it afterward it's like a recovery drink you know it's just it's very it's a totally normal beverage and also i feel like everything is so okay so you get water for free in the states but everything else costs a lot of money Mm. and beer costs like i mean you can get cheap beer for three to four dollars but if you want something nice it's going to be six to ten dollars and so I remember like having this mindset of like, well, if I'm going to buy something, I'm going to specifically choose the beer with like the highest alcohol content because I was really broke in grad school and not going to buy more than like two. Right. You know, but it's a totally different mindset of like, well, everything's three euros anyway. And that's interesting. I had heard there is a law that if they serve beer, they also have to serve a non-alcoholic beverage of some sort at that same price level. So I quit drinking in uh, March, the end of March. And then my husband got the job offer May. And so I really didn't know what I was doing in terms of like quitting drinking, but I just knew that I needed to stop. And I was like, you know, trying AA. And um, that was kind of what I had been doing. But then I moved to Germany here and all the all the meetings were in German. But the reason I quit drinking wasn't necessarily because I drank a lot. It was because I had struggled with depression for a really long time. And alcohol is a depressant. And I never really kind of put those two things together. But when I did quit drinking, my depression definitely lifted quite a bit within the first couple of months. But moving to Germany... You know, I mean, I think it doesn't really matter where you move. Obviously, Germany is a, m- a much more Western culture, and there weren't a lot of differences, like if you compare it to moving to Vietnam or something like that. But it, you know, there were differences, um, and there, yeah, I think there's this sort of um, idea of expat depression mm-hmm. that a lot of people don't necessarily talk about, um, and I didn't really know existed until I googled it one day. <laughs> Because I was like, what is going on? Because it really did feel like, okay, I quit drinking. Um, I'm not depressed anymore. And I got this really cool opportunity to move to Europe, which, like I said, I had always wanted to do. But yet I'm so depressed. What is wrong with me? You know? And um, it's not homesick. No, yeah, absolutely. Like, no. <laughs> I think that's also a misconception. People are like, oh, because you miss home. And it's like, well, no, that, that happens too. But you yeah. can feel it. And it's different. Yeah, like, exactly. Maybe a part of it to some degree. But yeah, I it's think, more. Yeah, it's something different. And I think the there's also this feeling in the background that accompanies this that is, I should be grateful 
what am I, I am a bad person because here I am in this situation that, you know, a younger me would kill for, or I know a lot of people who would really love to be in this situation. And here I am like, oh, I'm so depressed. This is so lame. You know, what kind of a person am I that I can't be grateful for that? And sort of, it's sort of like a spiral. And it turns out like, you're a human type of person. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. And what was interesting, so once I Googled it, um, I found a lot of information, mostly from other just, you know, immigrants, expats. The one that I, I gravitated to the most was this article called Chances Are Today is Gonna Suck. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, so I'm not the only person that is dealing with this. I would say that after five years, I don't have that kind of feeling too often. But it is a, it's a part of culture shock, I think. The idea of being in a different land, you are an outsider, no matter what, no matter how well you speak the language. Everything is more difficult, and that can be really challenging. And so I think a lot of people who have never dealt with depression might struggle more. Luckily, or unluckily, I don't know how quite how to look at that. I have had issues with depression since I was younger. So I recognized a lot of the symptoms and I could use some of the tricks I have learned over the years to manage uh, that depression. So that helped. But it's it was definitely a challenge. Had you done therapy in the States? Then? Yes. Okay. And were you doing that in when you moved too? Yes. Okay, so that okay. was another part of when I moved, my therapist was like, all right, we need to kind of finish this up, essentially, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, because she couldn't help me anymore. Yeah. You know, she were on completely different time schedules. And, you know, I couldn't really afford to pay her without the help of insurance. So she said, well, we need to kind of wrap this up. So there was, you know, me leaving my friends, me leaving a place in California that I really felt at home. And then there was leaving a therapist that I had finally sort of felt I trusted. And that's a big part. With any therapy, you need to trust your therapist. So that was uh, that was difficult. You know, when I got here, I don't know if everyone is like this. My personality is such that, okay, I did that. I checked it off the list. I'm done. And so when I got here, I kind of assumed that I wouldn't need therapy. Like I'd somehow finished you wrapped it up. Yeah, we wrapped it up. It was all done. Um, <laughs> and you do now have like the tools in your toolkit sure. that you can fall back on. Sure. To some extent. I think my depression is circumstantial. I dealt with a lot of stuff when I was a kid uh, that I still hadn't unpacked and kind of worked through. So that was where my depression came from. Whereas I think other people have uh, chemical imbalances in their in their brain that have nothing to do with stuff that happened to them when they were younger. They just struggle because their bodies are built differently. But I hadn't unpacked all that when I moved to Germany. And so I think I lasted about three or four months before I was like, I need a therapist. <laughs> I need some help. And so navigating that choice, finding someone, all, all of these things, like getting to that point of saying, okay, I, I still need therapy. I still need to work on this was one part. But the other bigger part was, okay, how does this work with health insurance? How does therapy even work in Germany? Like, for instance, in the US, so I have some weird, irrational fear of being locked up. And in the US, they can recommend that you be put in a clinic against your will, but only in certain aspects. And I looked all that up when I was in the US, because I was very, 
very nervous about for some reason getting shut away because I was a crazy person. And so coming to Germany, I didn't know how I could research all that. So I had to ask therapists and do I trust this person? Are they going to put me in a crazy, a crazy house? I say that with quotes, air quotes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I, that, that was also a big part of it. It's, um, it's not generally something you want to just ask your husband's colleagues, right? <laughs> Casually at a dinner party, like, hey, so has anyone heard if uh, this is a possible thing? <laughs> so could my therapist lock me up for being crazy? Not that I'm crazy or anything. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to get too far. And so how did you, so you just asked the therapist? Yeah, that's what I ended up doing because I knew I couldn't, like you said, even if I could look it up in German, it's, you know, it's a complicated situation. I, at that point, had very little skills to understand that sort of thing. And honestly, I would think, even now I would struggle with that because every occupation has very specific words that aren't really used in regular everyday German life. So you don't really learn them. And so I think it would still be difficult. So I ended up going to a therapist and asking her how it worked. And it is essentially the same. If they believe you're going to hurt yourself, if you express plans to hurt yourself or hurt someone else, then they can put you in a clinic. And then how is your process of finding the right therapist? Well, that's an interesting question because I took the first therapist I saw only because I only heard about one woman that spoke English. Had I known how the health insurance worked back then, I would have asked her for some other names of people because now I know there are several English-speaking therapists in Freiburg. And also, the health insurance allows you to see a therapist three times without committing to any sort of therapy, and they'll pay for it. And you can do that as many times as you want to until you find the right therapist for you. That's great. Yeah, which is great. That that idea of being able to trust your therapist, of being able to build a relationship, is this a person I can build a relationship with? I didn't really have that background to ask those questions. In the U.S., it costs a lot of money, and so every single session was, I have to get as much out of this as possible. In Germany now, I can go talk to somebody and feel like, okay, is this work for me? Does this work for the therapist? That's another thing that was really interesting. They can also say, hey, I don't think I'm the right person to treat you. That, to me, is interesting and kind of great. And Okay, so two questions there. are One, are you on private or public insurance? I'm on public. Public? Yep. And then... Once you do get past these three trials and you have a person, is that covered under the insurance? Yes. Fully. Yes. This was also a really interesting experience for me because I had always done behavioral therapy. And so when I moved to Freiburg, that's also what I started doing. However, then my therapist retired. And so that's why I kind of know all of this situation about how therapy works now, because I was then sort of walked through this process. So I, I went and found another therapist. I went and spoke with a few other therapists. And um, once I found the one I liked, this therapist is a psychoanalyst. And that's a very different kind of therapy than behavioral therapy. So when I had behavioral therapy, I was allowed 40 visits a year that the insurance company paid for and no co-pays, nothing. And that was way more than I got in the U.S. So I was very happy about that. Once I started going to this new therapist who is specialized in psychoanalysis, we filled out all the paperwork and the insurance company granted me two visits a week for 50 weeks for three years. 
Um, And that's, I mean, that's unbelievable to me. But what's interesting about that is how I've become, I feel so much more valued. I feel less like a product to this insurance company and more like an investment because since I've started going to therapy more, you know, I don't call in sick to work as much. And then the insurance company has to pay my salary when I call in sick to work. And I don't also get as many migraines. I don't go to the doctor as often. And, you know, you hear all this research like, oh, a person with good mental health this benefits their physical health and therefore costs the system less. Here I am in Germany seeing this in action. Like they're, they're looking at me and they're saying, okay, well, here, go and do this. And we trust that in three years from now, if that's how much I need, I don't have to go through all those sessions. But we trust that in three years from now, you're not going to be using the system as much. And, you know, you're still going to be paying the same, your monthly payment. Yeah, you're still going to pay that. And so we trust that, you know, you'll build back up whatever this cost. And that was such an interesting experience for me to actually feel like the safety net was holding me. Of course, coming from the United States where the insurance is a nightmare to navigate. This was a pleasant surprise, but it was also something that because I came from that background, I didn't know to ask these other questions. I didn't know that this was, this was possible. And it's also a lot of times like you said, Germany, when you're dealing with these kind of processes, you you have to know the right questions to ask. People aren't necessarily as customer service oriented as we're used to in the States. I would Um, agree with that. Yeah, (laughs) where people are willing to offer up other information. They just hear your situation and they're like, here are the five things that might help you. Here, it's more like you ask the question and they answer it to the best of their ability. Right. You do sort of have to learn how to ask the right questions and you have to know what's available so that you can ask for it. That's really, that's a really good point. I think I I actually like that in a lot of cases because I feel things move faster and they go pretty smoothly. I don't need to have all that extra information um, in a lot of cases, but in certain cases like this, it's, it is a big difference and to, and to be willing to continue to ask and ask until you get the answer you need. Mm-hmm. Um, which, There's a tendency to say no at mm-hmm. first, but if you ask through more times, it might turn into yeah. a yes somehow. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's different, but um, I, that has actually taught me a lot about how to ask for what I want, um, which yeah. is a new uh, sort of skill for me. I actually, I'm going through a lot of paperwork stuff right now and I've had this exact same thought where I'm like, you know what? I could get annoyed about this and to some extent I am, but I'm also trying to use this as an opportunity to be like, I need to get better about asking for what I want and what I need and not relying on other people to offer it for me or for them to think out of the box to help me. Like I need to be able to stand up for myself and and be able to express what I need. And in that sense, it's like, these wonderful opportunities to learn these things about yourself and to try out these skills, which are so wonderful about life abroad. Then there's the flip side of that coin where it's like, to get to those points where you're going through that process, you're going through mental... Gymnastics, turmoil, whatever you want to say. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. On on the best days, it's like, wow, look at me developing as a human in ways I never thought possible. And on the worst days, it's like, I hate everything and everyone and I don't want to open my eyes no and there's totally this guilt you mentioned earlier about this like I should be loving this I should be appreciating every moment like I remember 
couple months back, like I was on the job hunt and I'd had been having a lot of really terrible experiences oh, no. with it. Yeah. Which I was also having a hard time coping with because in the States I had a really good luck with the job market. Mm. I was always able to sell myself and, and get these opportunities. Um, so I hadn't really had to deal with that much professional rejection before. Um, so I was dealing with that sort of a normal experience on top of like being like, but to what extent is this because I'm not speaking perfect German or right. because of X, Y, and Z. And one time, you know, we, my boyfriend and I went on a drive to try to clear my head and we're sitting up in the middle of the black forest with this amazing view there's a picture he took of me just like sitting looking out at the view where it looks like super cool you know girl contemplating life like what you don't see is the front of my face where I'm bawling my eyes out like I could barely breathe because I was so just like letting all all these frustrated feelings and like that kind of thing happens a lot and it's hard to be to give yourself that empathy and that sympathy to be like, it's okay that you're not dancing around in the sunlight, enjoying life abroad. Like, it's okay that right. you're having a hard time. Like, yeah. Because it happens. Yeah, it happens no matter where you are, but it's going to happen more often in a situation where you don't know everything. I mean, not like you know everything in your home country, but you do feel like you have that. Like you said, you know, you not had to deal with professional rejection because... Maybe, you know, you just had luck, but maybe too, you just had that skill in the US, but you don't have it here. I have been a writer my whole life, and now I have come to find out through some very specific tests that I am a terrible <laughs> writer in German. And to swallow that and to, to accept that is, it's really difficult because you aren't the same person that you are in your home country. You, sh- you change, you shift and things, your priorities shift, your interests can shift, and also your personality can shift. Your skills definitely have to shift. My my first therapist said something really interesting to me, that if you move to a different country, particularly one where you don't speak the language, you're kind of reduced to this pre-communication age of like one-year-old, one-and-a-half-year-old, and then you are you move up from there. So think of a, a toddler and how many times they throw temper tantrums, how often they're so frustrated at things that are seemingly pretty simple. We are going through that as adults and trying to handle things with grace, and that's not always easy. Not at all. Yeah, I just remember having so many times like this feeling of like, I am so much more than what I can communicate right now. And there's also just with your career and stuff, partially this is like American culture, but partially this is also just who I am. Like I stake a lot of my identity on on what I do. Sure. And with writing, I think it's the same. Like I'm professionally a librarian and that's one of those professions that you really only do if you love it. Like in the States, you're not going to get paid well. You're going to have to go through grad school and you're going to have to deal with the public every day, which is sometimes great and sometimes awful. Like you're there because it's it's part of your identity. It's, it's who exactly. you are. It's what you love. Yep. And when things like that get taken away from you or feel like they should matter less now, it's, it's hard to adjust because it's like, okay, well, if I can't be a writer here, if I can't be a librarian here, then who am I? Mm-hmm. And of course, there are 12 other things that I am that are way more important than what I do. But it's a really painful experience of letting those step back and letting those other things step forward. That's something I think I don't know if I could have learned about myself if I had stayed where I was from. I just felt like the whole first year I've been in survival mode. There's no yes. there's no breathing room to let yourself like have these emotional experiences <laughs> that you're trying to and need to. And Right. And, and even if you have those experiences and there is a big part of you, like we talked about that, is questioning why. Why do I feel this way? I should be 
more grateful. I knew this was going to happen. That was another one I told myself, like, why are you surprised? You're in a different country. You knew this was going to happen. You knew the language would be difficult. Why are you so angry? Why are you frustrated? You knew this would be this way. And you chose it too, right? Like neither of us is here because we had to flee something. We're here because we made a choice. And I've had a lot of issues with resisting the temptation to internalize guilt about this choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I'm like, I could step away from this at any moment. I'm having such a hard time. and And I'm having like the easiest path out of most people. I know, you know, and I'm having the worst time. Why don't I just not make this choice? Or how do I not make myself feel like garbage for doing this to myself, you know? (laughs) And then there's the language thing too, where I just remember also feeling like I needed to talk through these things with people. Friendships are harder to forge when you're you're somewhere new. Um, And then also like, I had this constant feeling of like, I need to be practicing my German. Like none Mm -hmm. of this is going to get easier unless I'm speaking better German. And so I didn't want to let myself have these breaks where I could talk about it in English because I felt guilty about it. But then mm-hmm. like, it, there was sort of no winning, right? No. And like, there's just more and more of this guilt coming on. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Well, if I have a friend, that person should be German and I should be working on acclimating and I shouldn't have any American friends because, and I should never speak English because I don't live in America anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and if I do, then I'm a bad person. And if I watch one episode of something in English on Netflix, then I'm just the worst. And yes. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. There is a tendency to maybe pile on a little guilt. But the other thing is, is every single day we're out there and everything is I mean, okay, now the grocery store isn't difficult. Five years later, thank God it's not difficult. (laughs) But the first year, I mean, it really took a lot out of me to be able to go to the butcher and ask for something. Or every time I would bag my groceries, my heart would be racing and I would have to like calm myself down after I got done. And those sort of experiences, while they happen less often now, they still happen where something that's so simple, something that's in everyday life, wouldn't think twice about it, is so intense here. And so to do that on an everyday basis takes a lot of energy out of you. So sometimes you do need to talk about it in English. You do need to veg out and watch an English show. And you do need to have American friends so that you can sorry, but complain a little bit about the things that drive you nuts about, you know, where your certain place for me when I first moved here, it was the garbage. I couldn't, I could not handle separating all of it. It made no sense to me. And it was ridiculous, but it felt really good to, you know, just complain about that sometimes. So you were in, you started therapy. Were there any other things that helped you with this whole transition or this new life? I would definitely say, you know, I did have one really good friend. So that was really helpful because she also had struggled and and still does um, with mental health issues. So she and I could talk about, okay, how much of this is just culture shock? How much of this is a mental health issue? Uh, And we could be really open with each other in a way that I think was really special. I did spend a lot of time online with the non-drinking community. It definitely helped. Did you have any experience with reha or rehab here? No, no. It's more common than I thought. Yeah. And it's not it's um it's not just like drug and alcohol no. rehab. It's it's anything from like I know someone who had tinnitus and went to rehab. I've known people who go for depression who are just going sure. through like life changes. I knew somebody who went for um her fiance died so she just needed 
to like kind of reboot. I knew another person who went, she went for uh, anorexia actually. And it's apparently uh, pretty, yeah, it is pretty common. Or what is that where you work too hard and then you... Burnout. Burnout. Burnout is I, a real thing Yes, here. it's a this real thing. My mind. Yeah, well, I mean, it's great. <laughs> yeah, it's... But people view it with real seriousness. Yes. And yeah. that is such a great... I mean, that was a real eye-opener for me because it is serious. Mm-hmm. It's a debilitating thing that gets worse and worse the longer you have it. And I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. And it's something that I feel like in some ways in the States is... It's part of this culture of like work hard, like your, your status is in some ways how exhausted you are from how hard you worked all day. Right, how busy you are. Yeah, yep. exactly. It's We stake a lot of our worth on that. Burnout is like something you would just casually mention. It's like, oh, like I have a cold, but of course I'm going to work, you know. Mm-hmm. You can feel totally burned out, but you just keep going until right. you at some point get used to it or get better. And and here it's like, no, you have burnout. Don't work for three weeks. Go to rehab, go to rehab. And when you get back every day, you need to take two hours out of the afternoon and go to the lake and look at the water or mm-hmm. swim or be in nature. And your workplace will have to be okay with this. Right. It'll be funded by by insurance. And if you at the end of it are like, I don't feel normal yet or I don't feel well yet, then you you keep doing it. Right. Yeah. Blows my mind. It's fantastic. That is that is a big thing for me and something that I didn't realize was so so missing from my life before. And it just is like this sort of feeling of safety, an emotional safety, just to not only know it's there, but to relax into it. I mean, from my perspective, I've experienced less shaming about mental health and admitting that you have problems and things like that mm-hmm. yeah i've known people that you know like if they're diagnosed as depressed and going through this whole process it's like people are like acknowledging like oh like that's why you know that's why you're you're being extra sleepy or extra grumpy or something and it's just like it's not an excuse but it's an acknowledgement exactly yeah and one thing i thought was so interesting and i've only done this once in my work career here, but I did, I was so depressed one day that I like couldn't get out of bed. And um, all I had to do was go to the doctor and he said, okay, you, you know, here, you need to um, stay in bed. You need to call your therapist and here's a sick note. And it was, and it is completely legitimate, you know, Um, whereas people joke in the U.S., oh, I'm taking a mental health day. But like, I don't think that really you can go to the doctor and the doctor be like, absolutely, here's your mental health day. Your mental health day is one of your 10 vacation days. Exactly. But here you can get a week off work for colds. It's something to adjust to. I think especially like even talking about it now, I feel like a little guilty, like, oh, I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't use these. Um, You know, even when I told you, I said, I've only done this once in my work life. You know, I feel like I need to somehow justify that. But this, there's the whole social system is just different here. It's allowing you to be a human, which it's funny because I being, I think you said this earlier, being here in a different country, you are just being a human. So we're going to transition over to Zack, 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 which is our ending segment. It's a rapid fire question round. I'm going to ask you three questions. You're going to give me your answer without thinking, overthinking it. Okay. Just gut reaction. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. What is one thing that you typically bring back to the U.S. with you from Germany when you visit? Candy. Specifically? Rittersport. What is one thing that you bring back to Germany from visiting the U.S.? Peanut butter cups. Reese's peanut butter cups. Reese's peanut butter cups, yes. And then the other thing that this is new, Cheerios, peanut butter chocolate Cheerios. Have you tried these yet? No. They're absurdly good. And everywhere I go, every time I go back, I get them. 
All right, and number three, we are going to go to a grill party. What do you bring? Merguez. This is a special bratwurst with lamb and uh, beef together, and it's what Germans call spicy. It's delicious. <laughs> awesome. Those were your Zach Zach Zachs. Great. Very good. Thank, Thank you. you so much for coming on and talking. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you once more to Rebecca. I know I've thanked her a lot, but honestly, it's no easy thing to open up about your mental health in a public forum. And the fact that Rebecca was willing to do that is so meaningful. And I can't thank her enough for being such a wonderful guest. If you would like more from Rebecca, you can find her on Twitter at Rebecca A. Watson. I've linked to that in the show notes, as well as on her blog. The show notes also contain several resources, either things that Rebecca has mentioned that helped her or resources that I'm aware of that I think might be relevant and helpful. So definitely go check them out. I want to thank, as always, my partner, in life and in podcasting, Gordon Eisenach, who is the producer for the Expat Cast. And I want to thank Amy Lange Art for the logo, as well as Side Hug for the theme music. You can find them on Instagram at a hug from the side. And I got to visit with them while I was in Chicago, and it was so great. They're such a great band, full of great people. You can find us on Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook, and Twitter, all of the above at the Expat Cast. You can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on wherever you get your podcasts. So go ahead and hit subscribe. We'll be back in your feeds next week, and I'll be coming to you then from Germany. I am so excited to get back. This is really one of the first times that I've had homesickness for Germany. So there's a moment for you. <laughs> Until then.